Melt presents The Struggle is Real, where champions from the business of sports and entertainment today lay the foundation for the future changemakers of tomorrow. Welcome to The Struggle is Real, presented by Melt. I'm your host, Adam Schick. While there are more reasons than ever to stay home these days, thanks to advents like Netflix and Oculus, events are still the essential fabric of our social lives. Whether it's a simple sporting event or a full-blown gala, there is intense competition in the digital age to get people outside the house with exciting live experiences. On today's show, we'll talk to two people in the business of live and BizBash CEO and founder David Adler and NCAA Assistant Director for Corporate Relations, Ashley Medlock. First up, let's enter the fascinating world of special events and activations. As the creator of the leading publication that tracks the industry, David Adler gets to attend unique events on an almost daily basis. As a result, he stays on top of all the latest trends and movements that are shaping how we meet and engage in person. Melt's Director of Public Relations and Community Affairs, Mark Carmen, and I spoke to David about his fascinating experiences and the direction he sees the live space going. And he began by describing the power in bringing large groups of people together. Well, I think that you're seeing people actually vote with their feet by attending something. When someone wants to get, when 180,000 people want to go to Dreamforce to learn about Salesforce, that some, says something about that product, which is incredible. And I also uh, mentioned the fact that uh, AWS, Amazon Web Services, their event in Vegas is predicted to go to 200,000 people. And you're seeing uh, Goldman Sachs has an, entre uh, an entrepreneurial conference that's, that's getting 10,000 people. Uh, and you're seeing more and more and more of this happening. You're also seeing more um, smaller groups getting together, but with much more intensity as well. Because they're creating, you know, I, I also talked about the concept of the parasocial relationship, mm -hmm. a two-way relationship with a fictional character or a brand. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing people having parasocial relationships with conferences. Like they want to go to uh, Recode. The people that go to Recode, it's like going to summer camp every year or, or uh, C2 Montreal. Or, and it's kind of like the new socialization is how we gather in tribes. And that's kind of what we're seeing. And you're seeing it translate into brands, too. Mm -hmm. When you create a love brand, people want to connect with that. And they want to do everything they can to learn more about it. So I think that that is the ultimate compliment for a brand is to actually create something that's relevant to the lives of the people that are, that are part of that that, that, that use that product or want to get something from it. I mean, an agency also has that. I think that Melt You, can you imagine the loyalty of the people that are attending Melt U over the years mm -hmm. for this, thinking back about this experience. I mean, it really is one of those defining moments in their careers. David, you gave us a lot of great examples of great events in your presentation. Take us through the process, the kernel of the idea, and how it all blossoms into one big event. Well, an event is now no longer one event. An event is an envelope for hundreds of events, hundreds of different gatherings, hundreds of different, of different moments. And so the planning is much more precise. I call event, event planners the programmers of human interaction. And I believe that you know, once you actually create the planning process and put it in place, you're iterating and iterating and iterating to get it right. 
Now, the beauty about an event that happens on an annual basis is that you have the ability to try things, have it fail, and try something else. And so you're seeing the evolution of an event happen. You're seeing the evolution of an event, even if it's not the same event, the person that plans events knows what works and what doesn't work. Because we're intuitively behavioral scientists. And so that you're seeing things evolve. So the more experienced the event organizer, the better the event's going to be because they've experienced things that don't work and work throughout their careers. And usually you don't do the things that don't work again. It's kind of you know it when you know it, Mm -hmm. but it is very precise. And nothing, nothing is not planned. That's why they call it event planning. Uh, And that's why I've coined the, the term intentional humanism. Uh, the reason I'm using the word intentional humanism is I was listening to Tom Peters talk and he was talking about how everything's about AI today and about um, artificial intelligence and he thinks that the the companies that are going to win are the ones that show radical humanism, that show the connection, that actually have that Maya Angelou feeling come out. And so he thinks and I think that events are kind of the flip side of AI and and the better they get the more success a brand or a company or a person will have. And to that effect, you talked about how everybody in the digital and social space is looking to create experiences. And then the people in the experiential space are looking to create a connection to the digital social side. So is the answer that it's both? It isn't one or the other. It's both. both. The fact is that it works together uh, and that, you know, the purpose of technology is to make what was complex trivial. Mm. So the back end of this amplification will be invisible to most people. It'll be like, you know, you don't think about it when you turn on a light switch at your house, all the things that are going on back at the plant. You don't want to. You just want the light to turn on. You just want the light to turn on. So basically what you're doing with the technology of events is facilitating talking to people in ways that allow you to both talk and memorialize and make it easier to be in a human being. Can you imagine what an event was before microphones? I mean, a microphone is a very simple tool, but it really has been revolutionary when you think about it to talk to thousands of people at one shot. And so it all just morphs together to get you to the idea of connecting and looking at each other and having a feeling. And I think that's what the Holy Grail is. But if you spend too much time on the technology, you forget about the human connection. And you get, and, and so that the idea of programming of human interaction and making high performance gatherings. I mean, that's why I always like the word that the most effective word in the English language is the word let's. Because whenever people get together, they say, let's go to lunch, let's go to dinner, let's hook up, let's have a revolution, let's start a business. And if you think about it, that's what will happen in gatherings. And it doesn't happen if you don't go anywhere. You sit at home and watch TV, nothing will happen, <laughs> which worries me about, about VR, mm-hmm. which I love. I mean, I just got the Oculus Go and I love it. But you're sitting there in like, you're like spaced out, you know, living in, a, in an, uh, an augmented uh, virtual reality world and you don't talk to anyone else. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a problem. It's, it's Ready Player One. And that's it. Yeah. Ready Player One is the Ready accelerated future of everyone just uh, yes. you're at home because you can experience all these crazy things in a headset. But it's so addicting because you can sit there and not want to talk to anyone else because it's so fascinating. David, you've been to tens of thousands of events in your career. What's the most compelling event that you've been to and you've uh, attended? Um, I think most recently C2 Montreal. C2 Montreal is where they experiment with new ways of gathering. And uh, they are not thinking about an event as an event, but as a social experiment and a, and a civic engagement exercise so that, that sol- problems do get solved. I, I, I really feel that they have pushed the envelope 
Uh, and, and also, I do, actually, the best events I do, I'm doing these Jeffersonian-style dinner parties where, I don't know if you've been to a dinner party, and you never talk to the person on the other side of the table. So a Jeffersonian-style dinner party is one where I, as the host, control the entire conversation. And I'll start off with a uh, question that everyone shares, like, what was your first job? Or who would be a mentor that you would want to have living or dead? Or who's your favorite teacher and why? And all of a sudden, you hear everybody's thought. You see a through line going through everybody, and everybody gets bonded. So it's really more of the technique of how people are facilitating these events as opposed to the event themselves. Because you can go to the most beautiful event and nobody talks to anybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I still think that it's that, it's that connection that you get. So I, I guess I'm, the answer to your question is ones that connect me. Do you find that uh, being in the business, you try to top each other, you know, your competitors or just against yourself from the year before if you do a, a similar event? Do you, you know, always keep trying to top yourself? No event is ever the same, no matter if it's the same event, because the river changes. No matter, it's not about topping, it's about just, it's just different every event, because people are different, you're different, you're in a different place. So I don't think, I don't, I, I never heard of it put that way. I don't, I don't think that that's it. It's, the, it's, it's that connective tissue that you're trying to improve all the time, that you want better connective tissue in every event that you do, and maybe better than the other guy, or create, or, or create the sort of the mousetrap that's a little bit better from a professional. But, you know, the interesting thing, you don't get to go to other people's events necessarily, so you don't really know. That's what BizBash does, is allow you to peek over the fence to see what other people are doing. And allows you to sort of get a sense, oh, that's what they did. And maybe if I tried something like that, I mean, it's really about the sharing of ideas than it is about topping someone because there is no event that's the same. Looking at BizBash and kind of leading into that, taking the, the bigger picture view of the industry, there have been parties forever. I mean, Gatsby threw great parties back mm-hmm. in the Roaring 20s. But when did this particular space explode to where, as you talked about your presentation, I don't remember where it was, but someone was serving food where you had to get the cheese on the cracker yeah. while it was like pouring out of the ceiling. I mean, we're in, we're in a situation now where everyone's trying to create activations and events well, and experiences. Where and why did this blow up? Ten years ago, 11 years ago, was the invention of the iPhone. Hmm. And it turned every one of us into a content creator. That changed the game completely. And that's what I think is um, the good news and the bad news. That's when somebody raised their hand and said they hate the idea of everyone holding up their video because we're really in this sort of uh, era where it's all about the storytelling, but it's all about using storytelling as a, with artificial controls. I, my contention is the next big thing is intentional humanism, where people put down the stuff and feel it and experience it to create better things because I think we're getting tired of this Mm -hmm. we're like the medium is the message type of thing we know how television works now we know what it means we're going to get sick of recording everything Mm -hmm. and we're going to get and we want to experience things and we want you know like what is love you know how do you Mm -hmm. you you can't take a video of love (laughs) well see what's interesting about that too is I remember a couple years ago when when Adele was on tour and was selling it everywhere she said that she wanted people to put down their phones. And actually, there's someone who's working on a technology that at a concert venue or any venue can wipe out functionality of cell phones. So that's the artist says, I want that. But as you said, well, the artist may want that. The promoter, promoter the label, they it. don't want that. They yeah, want everyone yeah. sharing it because then that's how, that's how you amplify yeah. it more and more. So there's almost a competition now of 
motives. Right? Well, yeah, but I think that there's a, a whole discussion now on the ethics of of technology, mm-hmm. and that is going to be part of that discussion. I mean, how addicted are we to this technology that we can't put it down? And maybe that's not a good thing. I go to dinner with my father, who's 90 years old, <laughs> and he complains to me that I'm too much, like I feel like I'm 12 years old. Uh, but it probably happens in every family in America or in the world. And so how do you... Um, at some point, maybe we will change. Uh, maybe there'll be a revolution of thinking in that because you know everything goes around, turns around again. Mm-hmm. You know, the world is uh, cyclical in a sense. One of the uh, points that you tried to uh, knock home to the uh, students at Mill University is that every event must have a purpose. Every event must have a purpose, or else you are wasting your time. Uh, and that's where I think when you said talk earlier about how do you do the event, you have to start with the strategy and start with the purpose. And be clear, if it is to make money, that is a purpose. You know, you may want to look a little deeper than that, <laughs> but you have to have the purpose. And, it, and the purpose of even a birthday party is what is the real purpose of the birthday party? To celebrate the 14-year-old kid? Or is it to create a support group around the person? Or a support group of the friends of the person? I mean, there's deeper things that this, uh, that this art of gathering goes, go into in terms of what is really the purpose. And people only look at things on a surface level, but you're more effective if you can go a little deeper. We live in a world now where the general operating idea is that content is king. You said not so fast. Not so fast. Contact is king. Why? Yes. Well, we're in the event industry. The reason that uh, contact is king is because content is universal now. You can go on YouTube. You can get any content you want. How many times, how much time do you spend listening to a lecture on, on YouTube? You know, probably not that much. But if you're at a place and you're sitting next to somebody and you get a chance to say hello to them to change your life, to change your career, to whatever, that's more valuable than the content that you're getting. Unless the content is being facilitated in a way that's totally unique. Uh, so that's why I believe that, that at conferences, it really is the contact that is the most important thing. You mentioned that uh, some of the favorite things currently are balloons. People like to have balloons when they go out there. Or maybe even the scent, having an aroma. I never even given that a thought until you brought that up. Well, we're all about activating the senses. Because you, uh, what I understand about scent is that that's the one thing that you remember forever. Mm-hmm. You walk around that... It's clever. Yeah, the chocolate chip cookie uh, exhaust, you remember it forever. You remember the baby smells as a kid. You remember all these things. And so an event organizer is using all the tricks in the book to connect you to the feeling. And so it's really a manipulation of the dopamine and the serotonin and the oxytocin and all of the, you know, the neuroscience mm-hmm. of it. In fact, you know that... A centerpiece at a table balances the neurons in the brain. It's all, we're all about neuroscience. We're all about how the brain works. And they're all cues to get people to talk to each other. The reason that a table is round is because in the old days when we had our back to someone, we didn't trust them. So you want to see, the eye, see them and see their eyes. So it's, really, it's so interesting that we're basically, that, that event organizing and marketing is the basis of civilization cases. It's, it's the idea of socialization is about events. You said in your presentation at one point, you said, guys, I'm old. So I'm, I'm using that as my entry point here. So it's not me saying you're old. You said you're old. Yeah. <laughs> Considering that you are not 
my age, you're not the intern's age, and yet you're so up on trends and changing things to such an incredible degree. How do you do that, and how do you stay on top I of such a changing myself, space? I consider myself millennial-minded. <laughs> okay. Because, and I'm more on top of this stuff than anybody that works for me, and I read about it all the time, and I talk to people all the time, and I believe that if boomers lean into millennials, it's magical. If boomers put their ego in the way of leaning into millennials, it's a disaster. If I kept saying, oh, this is the way we did it in the 60s, you know, mm-hmm. or the 70s, it's a disaster. But you have to. It's, it's a mindset. It's not an age. It's complete mindset. Curiosity, keeping up on things, reading about things, learn. I mean, I'm reading these great books like Sapiens about civilization. I'm reading, uh, uh, listening to a civilization book uh, about the history of, it's like 50 hours. And we're seeing the same thing repeat over and over again. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing really new under the sun. But the idea is that it's so exciting to be alive today with what's going on. But you can't say, Oh, that's not the way we used to do it. You know, lifetime learning is the name of the game. And talking to the younger people, I mean, I learn a lot when I talk to mm. younger people, and they learn a lot when they talk to me because I'm like usually ahead of them. <laughs> <laughs> this changes so rapidly, I know, but when you look at events, activations, I mean, there's just the umbrella of things that you talked about. What are some of the emerging trends? What are people doing now outside of the cheese from the ceiling thing, which didn't go well? What, what's a trend right now that is happening that's working and people are latching on to? I believe that the, the big trend is going back to activating people to talk to each other, to actually having conversations and using uh, this guy, um, Alex Pentland, Sandy Pentland, who wrote the book Social Physics, talks about how you can, you can manufacture esprit de corps. And so the idea is the art of facilitation is becoming more important than ever. So like he talks about when you have a meeting, that the idea of having a meeting is the leader doesn't talk as much. The leader gives the people time to go out and explore and bring back ideas into the room. And then all of a sudden, the energy level goes up. So you watch energy level going up. I also believe, like I'm a, all my conferences, for example, I've added live music because I think mm-hmm. live music creates energy. And like you have your own Jimmy Fallon band, basically. Mm-hmm. But, it, but, there, but when, the, when the band riffs with the host and creates this sense of energy, you're raising the esprit de corps. And I believe that there's a manipulation, understanding of what that, even the most boring scientific conference should have live music, in my, in my opinion. I think that, that live music, live food, t- taste buds being activated are important. And authenticity is still the most important thing. No matter what, people can sniff out BS in a second. And more so the younger people than my age people. Because mm-hmm. they're expecting it not to work where the younger people are expecting it to work. So you're also seeing more efficiencies. Uh, I also think that the big thing is going to be, when I talked about about technology, the purpose of technology is to take what was um, what's complex and turn it into trivial. Waiting on lines have, has got to go. Mm-hmm. That line waiting and service and things like that, I think is going to be the next thing. Making it simple for people to experience uh, order food, you know, be part of something. But I think that that's, that's like a new revolution that's about to happen. I was just reading about at Comic-Con some of the activations that the, you know, some of the networks were doing. And one of the things that stood out was 
uh, Amazon for the new Jack Ryan show. They did a whole thing where it was basically they created a, they put you in the world of a secret agent. You were, you know, harnessed into a ropes course, doing car chases. All I mean, it wasn't efficient, but it was really cool for the people that got to do it. I didn't get to experience that. I don't think you were there, but you get to go to a lot of really cool things. What was the last event experience you had that wowed you in that way? It was like, wow, this is really something special. I almost do stuff almost every single day that wows me. <laughs> That's so good. What, what did you do yesterday then? <laughs> Talking to us today is obviously your wow event. Yeah, taking, absolutely. Taking this out of the equation, the last thing is that that's really different. Well, you know, That's the cool. other day I went to a tasting dinner mm-hmm. at a restaurant and watching the chef do a 15-course meal and do magic with it mm-hmm. was a total delight. It was watching theater. Um, at my own trade show, it was incredible because of just the the balloon entrance. You saw your 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 mind was like blown by the balloon entrance. There were guys that were creating food with blow torches. It was called the uh, it was a garage concept where they took blow torches and they were creating food. Experiential catering is something that we're seeing. That's that's incredible. Um, it's just one thing after the next. It's like hard for me to like remember everything that I've seen every day because it's. A, but I do record it on Instagram all the time. Like I'm trying to create a, a complete sort of library of things that I experience every day, and I do check in on Facebook every day to remember what 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 I've been to because there's so much stuff that's happening, mm-hmm. and it still comes down to like, oh my, that's cool, that's really cool, that's interesting. But that got me to talk to somebody is the most important thing. I'll come up with something, but I can't do it right now. <laughs> Before we let you go, we know you are also a, a podcaster. So tell yes. us a little about your podcast. So I have video. a podcast called Gather Geeks. We're on our 107th episode, wow. which is really pretty fantastic. And I've turned my desk into a podcast studio. So I just basically can flip the things around and I record things right away. And uh, it's been really interesting because I think audio uh, podcasts are the race of the car. The car is where people listen to podcasts. And, uh, and, and I find that people tell you things on podcasts that, that I learned so much from podcasts. I mean, I've, I listened to, um, Leo Laporte does this thing on technology and I, I've learned all of, I, I implemented Slack in my office because I listened to them. And, uh, and I just, I learned so much. Recode, I listen to all the time. There was this, I even listened to this, uh, new transcription, uh, service where you can actually edit your podcast using real words now. Uh, and, uh, it's called Transcript or something like that where you, you download your podcast and to a software program, and instead of cutting it on an audio, you just take the words out, and it and it reformulates it into a into an audio um, wow. thing. So it's like the tools are becoming much simpler now, and so I, I see that in everything. I see that in event technology. I see that in everywhere you're going. It's getting more interesting and more interesting every single day. The innovation, like that's what I was hoping today was that I open people's eyes up so that they can take it even further mm-hmm. because these kids are remarkable in what they, you know, how they see the world. And so that's what, what I love about coming down and doing this. Well, it's fascinating how you see the world too. And we thank you so much for sharing with us today. My pleasure. With 90 championships throughout the year, the NCAA is constantly in the business of bringing people together and celebrating wins at the highest level. As the Assistant Director for Corporate Relations, it's Ashley Medlock's job to help connect the NCAA sponsors to those events and, in turn, their fans. 
Mark and I spoke to Ashley about her unique path that has included stops with the Make-A-Wish Foundation and the U.S. Olympic Committee. And the former college softball player began by describing how she got her start marketing herself. I built um, great relationships while I was at Miami University in Ohio. I was able to work within the athletic department where I had the unique opportunity to, to market my own team, um, which was pretty neat at that time. And through there, growing into the Olympic movement and following somewhat of that passion and interest in what sport does for individuals, bringing people together. Um, if you look at the Olympic values and even NCA values of, of where we are now, um, looking through all of that was um, quite interesting, but also working with huge brands and finding that sweet spot and that ability to have value all around for everybody. So going into the Olympics and, and touching many different areas, I was able to learn that that was something that I enjoyed doing, uh, touching marketing, partnerships, PR events, um, selling in events, traveling with teams, everything um, across the board and doing that uh, within the USOC and USA Boxing and then um, taking that experience and leveraging it within Make-A-Wish to, to benefit them as well. Really was able to learn a lot about strategic partnerships and what it means to be a partner, not necessarily a sponsor, where um, it's really about that relationship and that value that you can drive back for that uh, company and vice versa. And then coming, obviously, to the NCA, where it is even more robust, and you get to work with a lot larger brands, and we touch our broadcast partners as well, and we work very hand-in-hand -hand with them um, as owners of our marketing rights and making sure that the partnership from broadcast perspective, from a corporate perspective, is valuable and is elevating uh, college athletics as a whole. One of the aspects I thought was very interesting is you are were a college athlete. Yeah. And now you work your way back up to the headquarters of the NCAA <laughs> in Indianapolis. It's kind of crazy because I would say if I was a when I was a college athlete, I thought, oh, I, you know, I'm not going to work in college sports, and <laughs> here I am working in college sports, and uh, it's. It's quite a unique and amazing opportunity to be able to do that. I would say we have quite a few student athletes that work at the NCAA, which is a cool perspective as well across all three divisions. It's a neat tie and, and experience to have for sure. Gives you a um, kind of ties back to that feeling of, of giving back in a sense. You've worked for two of the, the bigger governing bodies in sports with yeah. the Olympic Committee and then the NCAA. I'm curious, compare and contrast, what are some similarities? What are some differences? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say there's from a, the part I've touched the most um, with marketing partnerships events, um, there's a lot of similarities in the governing structure in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, but then also just the global aspect of the Olympics. It's very much more global, obviously, than the NCA is very national focused um, with institutions across the country. However, from a broadcast perspective, we get um, some pretty good international exposure as well. So I would say there are a few similarities and a few few differences in just what's going on within each of those organizations at a given time. But we've, I think it was probably a few years ago, um, maybe even more than that now, where there's been more of a joint of working USSC and the NCA of how do we, you know, come together in that amateur sports space. You just got done speaking to a group at Melt University, a group of very anxious and hungry young sports marketers. And what better uh, vehicle than the NCAA? Because NCAA is a heck of a brand. And the partners that you have in the marketing world also top flight marketing uh, partners. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, hope they came out of it with some, you know, great information and knowledge and able to, you know, get them excited about figuring out what's what's next for them. You never quite know. And um, some people know this is exactly what I want to do. This is exactly where I'm going to be and um, going straight after it. And then others, you, you kind of figure out as you go that this is this may be what it is um, that I want to do and finding those strengths and, and what you enjoy doing. With the different organizations you've worked with, I imagine you have a lot of great stories to tell. I'm curious, <laughs> from the, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, yeah. you hear so many amazing stories that come from that. From your time there, what's maybe one or two that really stand out that, that you got to witness or be a part of? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I will say one of the things I, I touched on in the presentation that was very cool to be a part of was that largest wish-granting endeavor that we undertook at the 2012 Olympic Games to grant over 55 wishes um, wow. around the world of kids going to the, the London Games. It was really neat to see and make that happen. Um, at the same time, I was able to work with Mattel at the time and we had a little girl that wished to be a fashion designer. So she came over from Ireland. She's from Dublin, Ireland, came to the U.S. We were able to tell that story about joining um, not just the biggest wish-granting organization in the U.S., but globally and having that global tie um, with a global brand as well. And we had Barbie and Ken there. We had, you know, top fashion designers there as well, giving her the full experience where she's extremely shy starting. And after probably the first two hours, it was like she was one of them and loved it. And it was the neatest experience. You see the glow from them that uh, is unmatchable, I would say, and is pretty neat to see what the impact it has on each one of them. I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana, so I know exactly where your headquarters yeah. are. And it's a fantastic structure. What's it like to go in there every day knowing you have your finger on the pulse of the college <laughs> sports world? It's a, it's pretty neat. Um, you go in every day. I will say we have beautiful building offices that uh, it's pretty... Uh, I don't know the best word for it, but unreal sometimes where you just walk in and you're like, oh, it's pretty neat. And then you get down to business and you have some, you know, amazing people that are there as well. And it's amazing some of the stories and the people you get to meet. Uh, we had a guy that worked for the CIA for years and ended up at the NCA. And you just have these unbelievably talented people uh, come in, which is pretty neat to be around. I know you weren't at the NCAA when this happened, but a few years ago, the deal with Turner and with CBS, how is that still today changing the NCAA, having that partnership with Turner and with CBS, especially for March Madness? It's a huge impact in what um, they're able to do and supporting the NCAA. We just renewed, um, I want to say, maybe two years ago now for all the way um, through 2032. And having that um, renewed is, you know, a great way to work together. And it's it's grown from when it started quite a few years back. Um, I believe it started with Host Communications and CBS and CBS and Turner and has grown um, over quite a few years, but has added different elements to it in that broadcast agreement from investing in digital rights to event rights and all those pieces. Um, so great partners and, and great um, organizations to work with, for sure. For people interested in getting into the corporate sponsorship space, whether it's with the NCAA yeah. or elsewhere, what's the day-to-day -day like for you? Is it mostly centered around championships or are there things you're doing every day to engage your corporate partners with the NCAA? 
Yeah, it's a great question. So when a corporate champion or partner signs on with the NCA, they sign on to rights at all 90 of our NCA championships. And so they have the ability to activate uh, at, across all 90 of those championships. And the day-to-day -day is, is different. Um, you have 90 championships, so fall, a lot of people think focused on football, but you also have um, soccer and volleyball and, you know, a lot of other sports going on. And then you get into winter and, yes, you focus on basketball and men's final four, but you also have wrestling and ice hockey. And even slowly after, as you're getting into spring, beach volleyball, which is our newest 90th championship, and baseball, softball, lacrosse, you have all kind of across the board. And it, you touch so many different areas. And I think that's one of the things that I found that I also liked about corporate sponsors is I've talked quite a bit about you know the marrying the, stra the strategy that comes together of bringing that value for those partners in each one's unique way and what's actually valuable to them and what's you know behind the scenes more valuable to them that may not show and how you can make that positive impact for them um, but touching PR events hospitality marketing in its purest sense, social, digital, you get to touch all areas, um, which is really fun for me because it's diverse. And you get to put all of that together into some programs, such as kind of the one I was starting to mention, and we were actually talking about out there, of College World Series, Coca-Cola, and USO, and integrating that across all different areas um, to do uh, show appreciation for military on finals game one of CWS. You get to go to a lot of championships, I'm sure. So there's 90 of them. Yep. Which one is your favorite to attend? That's hard. I don't know if I have a favorite to attend. Um, I like each one for different reasons. One of the things that I've found valuable throughout my career and something that I enjoy are the relationships I make and build. And really around Final Four, a lot of the people I work with are all there. So I get to see them and mm -hmm. um, spend time and really, you know, talk to them a little bit more in depth that I may not get to throughout the year of kind of what's going on with you, what's going on with the company, what's, you know, what can we do and, and how can we work together more and more and better and better. But then there's also the side of our 90th championship beach volleyball. I love it because it is so brand new. We just had our third year and it's continuing to evolve and grow. Um, we had a 16% increase in ticket sales just from last year to this year. Like it is, it is growing um, quite a bit. That's fun to see because you get to mold it versus maybe a championship that's been around for X amount of years. And this is kind of, we know how it's going to run. There's not many changes to it. You get to kind of mold and be, mm -hmm. be there and see it grow. So it varies. Sorry, I didn't answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You answered, you answered all of our other questions. So we appreciate you joining us. And thank you so much for speaking Absolutely. to students here at Melt U. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And that's going to do it for this week's show. We're now available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud, so be sure to subscribe on the app of your choice, and please leave review to help us continue to grow. Until next week, I'm Adam Schick. Thanks for joining us for The Struggle is Real, presented by Melt.